This message first aired on the radio on February 2, 2004. We come now to the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and as we come to it, we are going to slow down in our considerations, and we're going to take our time, and uh, we're going to see that the Scriptures do commend us to certain practices for a particular purpose. And we're coming to a portion of Scripture where we generally, if you look around in Christendom and you look at the Christian churches, you're not going to find it very well practiced. And that's a shame. It ought not to be like that, but it is the way that it is. And so we're going to spend a little extra time here to look at it and see substantially why, as churches or as individuals, we should change our practices when we come together and line ourselves up with the Scriptures. So this is a bit of a difficult passage, and not because it's difficult to understand, nor because it's especially difficult to teach, but what makes it difficult is it is so poorly practiced that in my lifetime, this area of Scripture that we're taking up today, the first 16 verses of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, are substantially not practiced anywhere in the Christian churches. Now we'll look first to get the context of 1 Corinthians 11. Lo and behold, and surprisingly, the context can be found for it just before in the 10th chapter, beginning with the 31st verse. And in the 31st verse of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, we read what the Apostle instructed us, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, this is the context, the glory of God, in all that we do is truly the context of the practices of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And of course the plan of God, we know that the gospel of God is designed so that no man may boast before God, but that God gets all the glory. And it's true and it's a fair statement to make that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone is designed so that God gets all glory and men get none. Now, it is our natural tendency, and it was the tendency of the Corinthians. In fact, if we were to summarize the overall criticism of the Corinthian church, it is that they were proud and that they were arrogant and that they sought after their own glory. And in every problem that we see, we see their own glory being the criteria. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10 where the apostle comes to the central principle of how they should conduct their lives, he finishes it with this verse, verse 31, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then there was a corollary to that, Give none offense, neither to Jews nor to Gentiles, nor to the church of God. And we see that there are these three groups, Jews, Gentiles, and church of God. Now, when we act according to faith, when we act according to the grace of God through faith, then we'll follow the Word of God. After all, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So we'll follow the Word of God when we act according to faith, and then we'll act like the church of God. Otherwise, we'll follow our natural tendencies, and we'll either act like Jews or we'll act like Gentiles. And perhaps there's no clearer indicator of people acting like Jews and Gentiles than in this following discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So we look now at the first verse, 
1 Corinthians 11, and the Apostle says, Be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so we have an inaugural statement here in the chapter. Of course, it attaches to those we've just looked at out of the 10th chapter. Follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, the way for you to follow Christ is to follow him the way I do. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The prototypical uh, person in the scriptures for us to follow is the Apostle Paul. He is the prototypical sinner, that is, he is the prototype sinner. He's the form that God cut out and gave us as a sinner that we should conduct ourselves the way this sinner conducted himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. So many today have taken to this saying, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would come and he wouldn't sin and he'd live a perfect life and he'd lay his life down and he'd die on the cross for us. Now that's what he would do, that's what he did do. We don't really need to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? We need to ask ourselves, what did the Apostle Paul do? How did the Apostle Paul follow Jesus Christ? And I'll follow Jesus Christ like he did. He's the prototype. He is the chief of sinners or the prototype sinner given for us to follow. And the scripture teaches us, follow Jesus Christ the way that the Apostle Paul follow Jesus Christ. Now here in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 11, we find the first praising of the Corinthians. The first praising, it says, Now I praise you, brethren, and of course this should get our attention, because here's something praiseworthy to be found among the Corinthians, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now he raises a subject of the ordinances. In other places, it's translated tradition. In fact, in the scriptures, in the King James Version, when this word comes up, which is the word paradosis, typically it is called the traditions. And I suppose in, in other translations, for example, the New King James, it is translated tradition. So it says here, keep the traditions or the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now here we have a, a noun form for the word tradition. We have paradosis, the word tradition. And then we have the verb form, parodidomai, which is the word used for as I delivered them to you. So really he's saying, keep those things that are delivered to you just as I delivered them to you. And that's what a tradition is. A tradition is something handed over to someone from someone who received them from someone else. And that's exactly what this means. The apostle says, I've received something from the Lord, and I'm giving it to you. Now, in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, that's exactly what he's going to say. He said, I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. Now, this is what the ordinances or the traditions are. There are the traditions of men. The Lord Jesus Christ talked about the traditions of men. And he said the traditions of men make the word of God of none effect. But what we have here are not the traditions of men. We have here the traditions of the Lord Jesus Christ given to the Apostle Paul, and he faithfully delivered them to us. Now this is the work of the Apostles. This is the substantial work of the Apostles. 
The substantial work of the apostles are, first of all, for them to hear what the Lord Jesus Christ told them. When we look at Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to look at this a couple of times in this as we teach through the rest of 1 Corinthians here, especially we'll be looking at this in the 13th chapter, but we'll look at it right now. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, and the subject is the great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? Now, the Lord began to speak about the great salvation, but he did not say all that there was to say about the great salvation. In fact, there was much more to say, and he told the disciples that. In John 17, he said, I have many things to say to you, but he said, I can't tell them to you now, but when the, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will lead you into all truth. And in fact, the Spirit of truth came and led the apostles into all truth. And so here we see the great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed or established unto us by them that heard him. So there are those who heard the Lord, and they established to us the things he delivered to them. Verse 4, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, and diverse miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost. So, the Lord substantiated and underwrote who his apostles were, but their work was to take from the Lord the commands that he gave them and secure them, securely deliver them over to us. And the practices that emanated out of those, which are not many, in fact they're very few, are the ordinances or the traditions which the Corinthians were commended because they kept them, because they kept them. Now he's going to give them instruction on how to keep them better and how to keep them properly. But he praises them because they remembered the apostle in all things. And now he's charging them to keep the ordinances just as he delivered them to them. These traditions, of course, to be kept, they have to be replicated from one generation to the next. That's what makes a tradition. He wants them to practice the traditions exactly as he did. And remember that this epistle is not just written to the Corinthians, but it is the only epistle where we read, for example, in the second verse, we only it's the only epistle uh, where we read this phrase, where it says, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So here he has these traditions, and, and he's giving them to the Corinthians, but it's not a local custom. Here it is something that all the churches are to keep, and it's a tradition that they are to keep. In fact, at the end of this section, verse 16, that we're studying, it says, If anyone seems to be contentious, we have no other custom except this one, neither have the churches of God. So all the churches of God have this custom, they have this tradition that we are going to read about right here in the 11th chapter. And what is this custom? It is the custom of the head covering. It is the custom of the head covering or the tradition of the head covering. 
And I'll tell you this, it matches no other tradition that these people knew. Now these people are all the Church of God, but they're formerly Jews and Gentiles. And Jews and Gentiles all had their own traditions about the covering of the head, and none of them are precisely this tradition. So everyone had to adjust. And we're going to look at that here as we go through this passage very carefully. But let me just say that in the churches of God today, it is very few churches that actually practice this tradition today. And this is a phenomena of straying that has gone on in the last 30 to 40 years, where the churches of God no longer practice the head covering as it's laid down here in 1 Corinthians 11, a modern-day phenomena of departure. And no surprise, because if there's one thing that characterizes the day in which we live, it is the departure from the faith. Many are looking for every kind of sign and wonder today because an evil and adulterous regeneration looks after a sign. But there is no signs going to be given in this day. One thing that we can see, however, is the falling away from the faith or the departure from the faith. And that not only includes the departure from central creeds that mark Christian thinking and theology, but it is also a falling away from the practices that the Christian faith uh, dictates. And there are so few of these traditions or ordinances, and yet all of them are under attack today, and the Christian churches are falling away from each one. Well, here it says, verse 3, But I would have you know, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Remember what the Apostle says. He says, Whatsoever you do, do unto the glory of God. Now here, when the Christians come together, when the assembly of Christians, the local church, comes together to gather together to worship the Lord and to investigate His Word together, and to be taught, and to pray, and to praise, God is to get glory. And here we see that the essence and the center of God's glory is the headship or authority of God. As one old brother taught me many years ago, he's now home with the Lord, and he taught me many years ago, he said, well, brother, authority is the central issue of the universe. And, of course, that is the headship of God. And verse 3 says there is three headships here. There's the head of Christ, who is God. There's the head of the man, who is Christ. And there is the head of the woman, who is the man. It says, I would have you know the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And so we see three headships here, all of which need to be uh, deployed and demonstrated by the church to give glory to God. The headship of Christ needs to be shown by the man, and the headship of the man needs to be shown by the woman so that together and in union the headship of God is seen. You say seen by whom? Well, it's seen by all who are in attendance. It's seen by all who participate to demonstrate the headship, all who look on as human public, and also, as we learn later in this very passage, 
it is also for the angels. We look at verse 10. For this cause ought the woman to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Well, we're going to look at this fantastic display that God would have here below, and we'll look at it more deeply in just a moment. Why don't you stay with us? I'm John Malone. This is BibleStudy.net. Now, we've said that there are three headships to be seen, according to the practice that's disclosed here in 1 Corinthians 11, and we saw that from the third verse, the headship of God, the headship of the man, which is Christ, the headship of the woman, which is the man. Now, we have these three headships to be demonstrated, and that is all to the glory of God, and maybe we'll explain just for a minute why that is. Well, first of all, our Lord Jesus Christ is the expressed image of God's person. And so his headship of man is to be seen in order that the headship of God would be seen. All that there is to see of God is seen in our Lord Jesus Christ. And his proper station has been, for some time, since his ascension as a man, his proper station as a man has been above the angels in the highest heavens. In the book of Hebrews, we read that the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And then he said to the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever. Now this is something that we read about in Hebrews chapter 1, but which no man has seen. The angels did see this thing as the Son of God was placed as a man above the angels. And so here below there is a testimony to the angels who would look on here that we agree with that and we desire to exalt our Lord Jesus Christ in glory and glorify Him when we come together and that that's our purpose. Now much can be said by us that that's our purpose. We can promise that's what we want to do. We can say we want to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ but happy are we if we actually get it done, if we actually do it, and we have a marvelous way to glorify Him, a very simple way that is given to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it has to do with just the way we conduct ourselves with respect to this head covering as we come together. Now some would say, well that's a very simple thing. How could that mean anything? I would just say to you this, if it's a very simple thing, why don't you practice it? Why isn't it practiced? You can travel throughout the world, and occasionally you'll come across a church that truly practices the head covering as it is described here. Well, let's talk about its description before we talk about how it is practiced or not practiced in the world. Verse 4, Every man, praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Now, here's a simple matter. Every man praying or prophesying with his head covered dishonors his head. Well, who is the head of the man? The head of the man is the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this speaks in a twofold way. A man who has his head covered is dishonored in himself because he's not following the ordinance which is laid down here, and he dishonors his head, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he doesn't follow the ordinance. Now you say, well, what difference does it make? Well, we had two kinds of people here. We had former Jews and Gentiles, now in the church of God. And the Jews were very sedulous in their practice 
to cover their heads when they prayed or prophesied. In fact, even Moses veiled his face from the children of Israel so that they would not see the departing glory that he had from his communion with the Lord in the mountain. And we read about that in Second Corinthians chapter 3. We'll take this up more particularly, but it tells us this, verse 12, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remains the same veil not taken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is put upon their heart. Now the men in the Jewish synagogues covered their head when praying or prophesying. They put a cloth on their head, and maybe you'll see certain devout Jews today, and they'll wear their yarmulkes, they'll wear their skull caps, covering their head in supposed reverence to God. So here now were these Jews, former Jews, now Church of God, who are commanded to be sure and not cover their heads when they pray or prophesy, not cover their heads while in the assembly of the church, which is his body, and so they had a practice to change. Because we learn here now in Second Corinthians 3, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, or as in a mirror, a clear glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the image from glory to glory, even as by the Lord the Spirit. Now let me say that that's Second Corinthians 3, but here in First Corinthians chapter 11, it tells us flatly that a man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors or shames his head. That's the very exact opposite thing that we want to do for our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to shame him. The opposite of that is to glorify him. And so a man is to pray or prophesy without his head covered. And it's an interesting thing, by the way, because throughout Christianity, pretty much, men practice having their heads uncovered. It is so practiced, by the way, that even in the courts of the United States, a man is not allowed to wear a hat or to have his head covered in any way. When you walk into a civil court in America, if you're wearing a hat, I don't care if it's cold and you've got a stocking cap over your ears because you're cold, that bailiff or that judge will tell you to take your hat off in the courtroom. That's a carryover of this charge, but now this is not for the public courts. I don't care if the judge lets you wear a hat in there or not. That is not the assembly of the believers. The assembly of the believer is when any simple church, big or small, the members are called together for their meetings. A man should not pray or prophesy. He should not even be in that meeting with his head covered. As one man would say, take your hat off, sir. And now that's not a big problem. As a matter of fact, I can't remember very many churches, I've seen a few, where men wear hats in the church. But it used to be that in every church, even nominally Christian churches, women wore coverings over their heads as the church came together. This is when I was a small boy, 
churches everywhere that I knew, women wore hats or some kind of covering on their head. Well, verse 5, every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is even all as one as if she were shaven. Now here it says that the woman who assembles together in the church and prays or prophesies. You say, well, what is it to pray or prophesy? Well, prayer is whenever you say amen to a prayer, whenever you participate in a public prayer by saying amen, you are still praying. Prophesying, well, prophesying doesn't happen anymore. There are no more prophets, so prophecy doesn't happen anymore. We'll come to that in 1 Corinthians 13. But we do have public prayer, and we do have public singing, which is public praising which is a form of prayer. And uh, a woman ought not to pray or prophesy with her head uncovered. She should have her head covered. Now we'll go through some of the crazy arguments about this, if we can make them up fast enough and put them away quickly enough. But here a woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, it is just as if she were shaven. Now this has to do with the shameful women that shave their heads, the temple prostitutes, shave their heads to distinguish themselves as women of shame who you were welcome to have. Now, whereas that's a rather impolite and nasty significator, it was the one of the day when this was written, and there it says, even as all as if she were shaven, she dishonors her head. Well, she not only dishonors herself and the top of her head, personally, physically, but she dishonors her head in picture she dishonors her husband or she dishonors the man who is the head of the woman. And so men are in dishonor, women are in dishonor, when women are uncovered in the church of God. Verse 6, For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shaven. But if it's a shame for a woman to be shaven or shorn, have her hair all chopped off, and it is a shame for a woman to have her hair all chopped off. It's a horrible looking thing. Women are doing it today, chopping all their hair off even shaving their head. It's an awful thing. But if that's a shame, and it is, then let her be covered. And so women should be covered in the local church. Now, I attended a local church many years ago before I attended uh, the local church that I'm now a member, Millard Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Before I attended that, uh, I attended another church with many fine Christians, many uh, Bible-oriented, believing Christians, with whom I had happy fellowship, but I believe that my wife was the only woman, and my daughters, were the only women in the entire church that covered their head when the church was come together. And it was a difficult matter, but we did it to be a good example. And let me tell you this, here's what happened to me as I was teaching the college-age students in that particular church. The college-age students, which came from a, a local Bible college, Many of them would come to this church because so many of the men were involved in that Bible college. The college uh, attendees of this resident Bible college in Omaha would come to this church, and they would stay for a few weeks in the fall, and then they would wander off, and no one would see them again. And so the church wanted to make a commitment to the young people that somebody would take them under and teach them the Scriptures to see if they'd stick around and have fellowship while they're away at school. I was asked to do that work, and I kept about 20 of those students in my class and taught them every week. And I was teaching them 1 Corinthians. And when I came to this 11th chapter and taught the young women that they should cover their heads and the men that they should 
leave their heads uncovered, I was asked to leave off teaching that class. They meant it for evil, the Lord meant it for good, and now I'm in a church where I can practice happily the teaching of the entire Word of God, and where the women, by and large, do practice this covering of their head. But I'll tell you, it's a rare church, it's a rare assembly of believers, where the women will actually cover their heads. And as I said, this is a phenomena of these last few decades. Now it gives us the, the apostle gives us the explanation for all this in verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Now the man is the image and glory of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is a man. I remember I attended a conference one time. I wanted to take a little vacation with my wife. And we attended a marriage conference sponsored by a, a spinoff of the Youth for Christ. And uh, they had a little booklets and so forth. And we were in a large gathering with other couples. And the fellow began to teach out of the booklet. And the booklet said that God is best represented by male and female. And that it takes male and female to represent God. And uh, I objected. Uh, there was a break, and I went up to the man, and I said, Listen here, the Lord Jesus Christ is a man. He's the exact representation of God's being. There is no representative today that represents God. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is God, and he's the exact representation of his being, and he's a man, not a woman. And so I would like you to correct yourself at this conference. There were actually hundreds of people there said, I would like you to correct yourself when we resume. And the fellow said, I can't correct the book because this booklet is written. This is what I'm authorized to teach. I said, my friend, the book is the scriptures. And here it says, the man is the image and glory of God, not the woman. She is the glory of the man. And of course, he would not come off his position because the booklet said what the booklet said. Well, let me say, the Word of God says what the Word of God says, and men make the Word of God of none effect with their traditions. But the Word of God is still the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile, and this practice is determined in the Scriptures. Now, I've heard other men preach. In fact, I heard Bob Thune of Christ Community Church in Omaha teach on this passage, and when I heard him, I knew that he saw that this was to be practiced, and he got this far as to see that the practice of the head covering was taught in the Scriptures, and he spent the last half of his message teaching his congregation why he did not think that women actually needed to wear a head covering. Well, I wrote to him, and I tried to correct him, but he won't receive it. And that's the kind of teaching that we have all over this city in Omaha, Nebraska. It's the kind of teaching you have all over the city in Kansas City because, frankly, the women don't want to cover their heads. They just don't want to do it. And you're going to get trouble. Well, that went on in Corinth also. Because while the Jewish men wanted to cover their heads from their own background, and uh, perhaps those who walked according to their traditions, balked at not covering their heads, as was commanded of the man, uh, among the Romans and the Greeks, we had a different practice. Among the Greeks... Neither the men nor the women covered their heads. And I'm sure the Greek women had a real problem with taking on this head covering. Now, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, let me tell you how I know that. 
begin to talk to your own wife about covering her head when you go to church. When you go to meet with the other believers, don't have to start with your whole church. Just start with your own wife and say, Honey, I'd like you to find something to wear on your head every time we go to one of the meetings. Well, you'll get your lesson that way, my brother, and see how it goes and see why it is. And we'll talk about why it is the way it is when we come back after this announcement. Well, the apostle gives more reasons than just that the man is the glory of God and the woman is the glory of the man. Here it says in verse 8, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And now he gives the order of creation. And he said, Woman was created after man. Man was created first, and then the woman was created to be his helpmeet. And that's the order of God. That's God's order in the creation. And to maintain his order willingly, and to come together according to his order and his plan and purpose for man, that gives glory to God. And it says now, verse 10, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head, or a symbol of authority, because of the angels. Now, I've, I've been around. I've taught in churches. I've taught in churches all around the world. I know what is faced here. It seems like such a simple thing. Honey, put on a hat. Honey, here's a little veil. Or find yourself a veil. You look fine in it. Put it on. Cover your hair best that you can. And that's all there is to it. It's only for the time of the meeting. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is the glory of God. And so the big contest and the big enmity is the glory of God. And you'll be surprised at such a simple practice of simply covering your hair while going to a Christian gathering, you'll find that the opposition to it is incredible. It's incredible, such that men try to make up reasons why women shouldn't cover their heads. When the scripture very plainly says that a woman should do it because of the angels. Now here, here the angels look on. And it's because of the angels that she should cover her head. They're the audience here. This is a heavenly display of the glory of God. After all, the church is seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where our citizenship is. And this is a tradition that's given. It's a very simple thing. Men, take your hats off. Women, put your coverings on, whether it be a hat, whether it be a veil. Cover your glory, which is your hair. And yet... There's such tremendous opposition to it. The women don't want to do it, and very easily they'll find some pansy preacher, and I mean a pansy preacher, who will find some ridiculous argument not to do this. This thing, which is one of the very few traditions. We have the tradition of the Lord's Supper. We have the tradition of the head covering. We only have four symbols in the Christian world. The woman's head covering and the absence of the man's covering, which is one symbol, the loaf, the cup, and water baptism. Those are the only symbols we have in Christianity. They're very simple, they're very few, and they are all under attack. Hardly anyone keeps them the way they are. We have water baptism. It's a picture of burial. 
So, in other words, you immerse in water. John was an immerser. That's he baptized. The word baptize means to immerse. So what do Christians do? They sprinkle, they pour, they splash. They don't immerse. So many don't. And it's a big controversy. Simple little thing. Big controversy. Then we have the cup and the loaf. We have no cups anymore. We have many cups. We don't have a single cup. We don't share a cup as the ordinance would give us to do. We don't have a loaf anymore. We don't share a loaf. We have little crackers. We have little crumbs, little individual packetized pieces. We destroy every symbol that is given to us. We practice the ordinance in a way that is not appropriate. We'll see how that is later in this chapter. But this one here, the head covering, a very simple thing to practice. Put a veil on, cover your hair, honey, and uh, sir, take your hat off. That simple, not done. Now this cause, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because the angels are looking on and want to see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. After all, we're the new humanity in him, and they're not. He has been raised up above them, and so will we, after the judgment seat of Christ, as we qualify, in him there's a new humanity already raised up above the angels. First Corinthians 6, What don't you know uh, that we shall judge angels? As he told the Corinthians, how much more the matters of this life? And yet, we won't. We won't have our wives cover. We'll go ahead and be shamed in the public assemblies. We won't have our daughters cover. We'll go ahead and be ashamed in the heavenly places and refuse to give glory to God because we don't want to challenge the recalcitrance of our wives because we don't lead them. Now here it says, does this mean a man's better than a woman because he's the image of God? No, the man's not better than the woman. The man is the image of God. He's the glory of God. The woman is the glory of man. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord, because the woman is of the man. That is, Eve came out of Adam. Even so, the man is by the woman. We all have mothers, but all things of God. God has ordained this. It does not make you better to be first. It makes you different to be first. And men were created first in the image of God, and the women were created for the men. Judging yourselves, verse 13. Is it comely that a woman pray to God uncovered? Now, even the Corinthians knew that that wasn't good. Even the Corinthians knew that that wasn't good. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a shame to him? Now you say, well, nature doesn't teach me that. It sure does. I remember in 1970, I was on a college campus, and when I went to college, just about every young man had long hair, except that he was in ROTC or he was a military officer. And I remember all these guys with long hair walking around, and at that time, the university I attended, they were building a new science building. And the fellows that were building that science building were sitting outside working on that building, and uh, as they would see the change of classes and all these fellows with long hair, they would whistle at them like they were girls and deride them. Nature itself teaches you, well, we thought we were all smarter than them and they were just stupid, but in fact, we were the fools. They were wise in this regard, at least, that a man has long hair. It's a shame to him. It's a shameful thing. Of course it is. I don't know why we're so concerned about earrings and nose rings, although I find them to be also effeminate. But when a man has long hair, it's just a shame to him. But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. 
And of course, that's true because the long hair or her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, this is a different word. This is not the word given for the veil that she's to cover with, but she is covered with long hair. It's her glory. And so when a woman covers her glory, she's man's glory, man's glory is covered. And when man's glory is covered and Christ's glory is not covered, then God gets all the glory. And that's the issue here. Remember, it's the glory of God. So the woman is to have her head covered because it's her glory. She's the glory of man. When she's covered, man's glory is covered. Man is the glory of Christ. When he's uncovered, Christ's glory is uncovered. He's the glory of God. We want the glory of God to be seen in our assemblies. You say, my goodness, you're making a huge deal out of this small thing. Well, first of all, let me say, it's not a small thing. It is one of the traditions, one of the very few traditions that are given to us to be kept. And when the traditions aren't being kept, and when, the, when someone is teaching to not keep the, the traditions, which so many men do, then we have a real problem on our hands. I want to read to you what the Apostle says about that. In Second Thessalonians, we see really a church that's very different from the Corinthians. The Thessalonian church, a very commendable church. And by the grace of God, we'll get to those epistles as we intend to have a series where we started last with the book of Romans. Now we're in First Corinthians. And by the grace of God, we'll go through the nine epistles to the churches or the groups of churches ending with the Thessalonian epistles. But I want to turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and see some of the praiseworthiness that was given to that church. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, we read this, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, what traditions is he talking about? He's telling the Thessalonians, hold fast, grip tight, lay hold on the same word, paradosis, the same word for traditions that was written in the Corinthian epistle. You can be sure that in Thessalonica, this praiseworthy church was practicing the head covering. How is it practiced? Men don't cover their heads when they come together so the glory of Christ can be seen. Women put a symbol of authority on their head, covering their glory so that the glory of Christ is seen, who is the glory of God. He said, stand fast, hold the traditions. That is to say, stick to it, hang on to the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. That is to say, the first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 11, here's one of the traditions, hold fast to the tradition of the head covering of the woman and the non-head covering of the man. Well, here now it says, verse 16, If anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such other custom, neither do the churches of God. Today there are men trying to invent new other customs, new other customs. Some say, well, yes, 
That was a tradition then, but now I think we could have another tradition. Maybe instead of the woman covering her head, she could just wear a nice pretty dress. Or maybe instead of the woman covering her head, she could stand up in the church and give some testimony about how submissive she is to her husband. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible is written for its own reason, and if you want to have an empirical experiment, just do what I suggest. Ask your wife. Just say, honey, now I heard this preaching, and why don't you just wear a head covering when we come together? And then you'll see the spiritual warfare around the glory of God. And listen, my sister, maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, you know, I think you're right. I mean, it just says that. I'd like to cover my head. Shall I just wait for my husband to tell me to do so? Well, you don't have to wait for your husband to tell you to practice the faith. Why don't you just begin covering your head, sister, and see if he stops you? And you don't need to have a movement here. You need to act in faith. Well, we have this tradition. We have another tradition here in this same epistle. But what we don't have a tradition of, we don't have a tradition in the churches of arguing about the traditions. We're just to keep them. Now, I know of churches that have gone from keeping this tradition to no longer keeping this tradition. I have not heard a single instance of a church that did not keep this tradition that started keeping this tradition. Now, I'm in a church that never kept this tradition and that now keeps it, but it didn't happen that the entire church decided to start keeping the tradition. What happened is that most of the members of the church began leaving the church and God built up a new church out of different believers and new believers who practiced the tradition as it's taught here in the scripture. The problem we have today is that men teach their own traditions and make the Word of God have done effect. So I'm going to deal with a few things that people say. Well, the first thing men say is, well, you see, a long hair is given here for her covering, and so that's her covering, so if a woman has long hair, she doesn't need to cover it. Well, if you'll take the word covering here and substitute the words long hair for it in each case, you'll see how little sense this scripture makes. So just take that, substitute the words long hair for covering and see if it makes any sense for you. It won't make any sense. Of course, we have the natural argument here that says it's naturally beautiful for a woman to have long hair and it's naturally shameful for a man to have long hair. This is something that is taught to us, but that's just to demonstrate that that is that woman's glory. Here's what another argument is against the keeping of the head covering. Well, that was then, this is now. Well, of course that was then, this is now. That's why the apostle had to teach, keep the traditions. He knew that that was then and that there was going to be a subsequent now. And that's why there is such a thing as tradition. He sets up these traditions and cautions us to keep them so that that which is then succeeds and lives until now. He doesn't say make up some tradition that's suitable to you. He said keep the traditions that I have delivered to you. Now, if the traditions were kept, and they were kept for about 1900 years, if the tradition is kept, then there won't be any such argument of that was then, this is now. If the argument of that was then, this is now applies to each and every scripture, 
then we don't have any scriptures whatsoever because they were written then and this is now. Well, of all the times that that was then and this was now doesn't apply as an argument in the scriptures, it's when it comes to keeping traditions. Well, the fact is, friends, that we don't want to do it because we know it's going to be opposed and we know there's going to be trouble and we're weenies in the faith. And that's the fact of it. Well, I've had my say here in the first 16 verses of 1 Corinthians. It's the Word of God. I'm teaching what God says. It's easy to teach. It's hard to practice. But go and do likewise. We'll be with you again. I'm John Malone. This is BibleStudy.net.